Hey entrepreneurs, are you trying to make bigger profits in your small business? Like many of us, I'm sure you're feeling it. Business is hard, and now more than ever, you need to have a plan to help your business not just survive, but thrive. And it can happen as simply as thinking with the end in mind. I'm Marcia Reiner. I'm a business growth strategist, and I've helped tons of small business owners to establish and implement a tangible plan that guarantees increased profitability, guides your growth, and plans for your future exit. Because a business worth selling is also a business worth owning. And I want to share strategies that I've earned and learned with you on today's Profit with a Plan podcast. But before we get started, I have something great to share with you. I put together an insightful Think Outside the Box masterclass. This 15-minute training is specifically designed to help you learn how to get your business sale ready, even if you aren't thinking of selling it yet. Why now? Join me and find out all the benefits that come with having a sale-ready business. Register for free at www.scale2sell.biz, and that's the number two, scale2sell.biz. All right, I'm really excited to have my guest on today, Stacy Brown-Randall. She is a multiple award-winning author of Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, the host of Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast, and a national speaker. She has had the privilege of helping well-known corporations and franchises, but her focus is on small business owners and solopreneurs. Stacy has been featured in national publications like Entrepreneur Magazine, Investor Business Daily, Forbes, CEO World, Fox News, and a lot more. She has received her master's in organizational communications and is married with three kids. Stacy, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Okay. So how in the world did you get into <laughs> communications and where it's led you to today? You know, it's, that's such a good question. I really think it has a lot to do with my father uh, was a writer. And so I was always surrounded by books and the written word. And I mean, it, I remember after he passed having to be the one that was told to go clean out his, all of his many bookcases. And I was like, this is never going to end. Like there were mm. boxes and boxes and boxes of books. Um, but he loved fiction. He wrote fiction and I love nonfiction, particularly mm. business books. Uh, my family. Kind of thinks, different. Yes. Uh, you'll, my, my family will be like, you'll be sitting at a pool reading a business book. Like you're such a nerd. I'm like, yes. And I love it. Um, but so I think that I was really just kind of always around the written word. And then I also loved theater as a child. And I loved being on stage. I loved acting. I wish I could, I could sing. That is not a gift that I was given, <laughs> but I did the children's theater thing. I was the host of a teen, um, like week weekend video show um, that happened on the weekends in my hometown. I did that. And then I went off to college to be a broadcast journalism major because I was going to be the next Katie Couric. Like that was where I was headed. I was like, she's oh, going to retire. Totally see you. <laughs> I was like, she has to retire at some point. Why in the world can it not be me? So that obviously started me with my first communications degree. I mean, it was a broadcast journalism, but still a mass communications degree. I decided once I was probably almost done with my four years of education that I didn't want to be the next Katie Couric, and I didn't want to do the weekend uh, reporting and anchoring, and, uh, and I didn't want to become a meteorologist. And so I kind of was like, well, I 
know how to speak and know how to write and know how to present. So, you know, at that point, it's just a matter of what do I want to do next? And I, you know, I first got into the nonprofit world and then I got into the business world and those skills just always served me. The fact that I could present in front of a board at 20 something years old and wasn't nervous and, you know, and I could write, you know, whether it was a 50 page report or, you know, a three paragraph you know, email, those were things that just came naturally to me that I had just honed over the years that I was pretty confident at. Now, ask me to run a spreadsheet for you. Not so much. Not, I don't not know a- anybody that really is good with, with the, the functions of a spreadsheet. It's always so hard. <laughs> oh, it is. And it, I, the people who are really good at it are like, I don't understand why you don't get it. Right. But it's just so, algebra. <laughs> I know it's like, it's math. Though. Yeah. But so for me, it really was, I just kind of leaned into the things that I was good at. I did, I ended up doing marketing and sales. I got into HR, I worked for a magazine. So it just kind of led me on this portfolio kind of career path Mm -hmm. as I was figuring out what I ultimately wanted to do. And I would always find myself in positions where it was presenting was a part of it. So a lot of sales and marketing, writing was a part of it. Um, And then those were just the things that I was really good at. But I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I knew ultimately I wanted the freedom that came with being an entrepreneur. And I know that means you don't necessarily walk in day one and have any kind of freedom. Like that's not what it looks like to build a business. But if you do it right, and over time, you actually have that that capability to build more time freedom into your life. And I really wanted that. And I kind of like being in charge. So, I mean, there's that piece as well. So, you know, for me, it was figuring out what in the world I was going to start a business in. And while I started my first, I had a first company, it was an HR consulting firm. While I was in that HR consulting firm, I kind of just knew that a graduate degree in communication, which was kind of tied to what I was doing with HR consulting, would be really beneficial from a credibility perspective, because I was, you know, at that point, I don't know, what was I like a 20 something, late 20 something business owner, right? consulting with huge firms like KPMG was like one of my first clients. And so it was BDO. Like those were the, the companies I was consulting with on HR issues, right? Employee engagement and generational diversity. And so I just knew having that, like, I think having my master's degree would probably be helpful. And I in that at, arena, yes. Education, yes. higher level of education is super important. It doesn't mean that you learned anything, but you have those credentials. <laughs> and it's amazing how much that matters. Like, oh, she has a master's. Like, does it mean I'm actually like amazing at anything? Just means I can get through school. But I looked at two programs. I looked at a, um, a master's in organizational development, and I looked at a master's in strategic and organizational communication. And I was like, huh, one of them, I don't have to take any test. I didn't have, to, I don't know what the test was you had to take to get into the, the business school's master's of organization development. I don't remember. It was like, I don't know. What are those tests above the SAT? You know, when you're in kind of getting into grad school. Oh, there's right, like right. The GRE yeah, or something? GRE, not the GRE. Yes. Not, GMAT or something GMAT, like that. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's not the GRE. Obviously, that's high school. But yeah, the GMAT. And so I was like, wait, one program makes me take the GMAT and the other one wants a writing sample. Done. I will do the writing Check. sample. <laughs> All day long. And that's, and I loved it. It was a great degree. And I wrote a book while I was actually in that program and never published it because it wasn't a topic I was really married to actually finishing. And I remember my husband saying one day, wow, that's a really expensive way to write a book to get your master's degree. (laughs) And I was like, a book that you never published. I'm like, it's true. But it gave me this great foundation for everything else that I would eventually do. And it would be while I was in that grad program, actually, that my business failed. 
And then I would go back to corporate America and I would graduate from my graduate program while back in corporate America, planning my escape route for how do I get out of here to start my own business. And it was everything I learned from my first business failure, figuring out how to do it better or just to do things right. And business development was a big piece of that, more so filling that prospecting pipeline, but doing Mm. it in a way that's going to work for me, like in a way that I want to do it, in a way that I'm willing to do it daily if I had to. So which meant cold calling, cold emailing, and asking for referrals was never going to fit, right? Yuck. It's like the perfect word. It's like ick or yuck. And I was like, I got to find, and I can't network every night of the week because at this point now I've got babies and then we're going to add more babies eventually. And so like, it was this, this necessity to be successful and not land in the business failure club again, that allowed me, though at the time I would tell you forced me to figure it out and be okay with it looking different as long as it was working. And what I realized when I started my second business as a productivity and business coach, when I looked back, I got 112 referrals my first year as a coach that I didn't ask for. My business like, like just doubled like more than that, like overnight. And my clients were like, thanks so much for teaching us how to tame our inbox. We appreciate the coaching on productivity, but how are you growing so fast? And that put me in a position to teach them what I was doing. And at that time, it was like, I don't know, I'm throwing spaghetti on the wall. It's like anything I can do to be successful. But as they said, between the hours of this and this um, and while I'm doing this and all that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. And at the time, my husband owned a restaurant. So it was like chaotic to say the least. And so, and the, you know, the kids always need you, but when they literally can't dress themselves, it's just an entirely different requirement. And so it was when I, when my clients were like, Hey, how are you growing? And I was like, well, I'm getting referrals. And they're like, what are you doing? And you're, you're not asking because you're not asking us like, but you're getting them. So what are you doing? It forced me to start teaching it. And the minute I'm forced to explain something or teach something, I start reverse engineering what's happening so that I can explain it better. And I think that in me comes from grad school and then being an adjunct professor for a couple of years after that is like trying to figure out how to break something down so somebody else can get it. But it also forced me to figure out my process. And that's what I did. So I started doing one-on-one coaching way back. I mean, this is almost like a decade ago now, but like one-on-one coaching to teach people my referral strategy. And then that grew to like the 30 to 50 person workshops. And then that grew like in 2015, we brought in our first online program. And then that has kind of grown to offshoot programs, our core program, offshoot programs. And now we still have our online online programs, Um, but I also get to work with folks in a more intimate one-on-one level as well with um, one of our other offerings um, too. So it kind of gives me a nice, um, I don't know, like variety of kind of how mm-hmm. I help people. Um, but it really does. It comes down to the first thing I always have to tell folks is you've been told you have to ask for referrals or compensate or network or wait for them to happen and hope they happen. Right. Or, or buy you know, ads or, or go, you know, paper the world or, you know, know everybody. so many business development models out there well, that, <laughs> don't always work, but cost a lot of money, take a lot of time. And if you remember years ago, and I can't remember who it was, but I think it was even like in the real estate space that it was um, referrals by design or referrals by something or other that was the, the tag for it, which was the most ideal client you could ever get is that someone goes, oh, you got to talk to Marcia. Oh, you've got to talk to Stacy. You know, it, but it's so hard to get. Well, so it's so funny because you say there are so many different business development strategies and tactics for sales. What's even funnier is like there are so many 
tactics within referrals of how you could be taught to generate them. The big one we always go to, it's the one that's been, we've been beaten over the heads with the longest is that it needs to be asked. You need to ask for those referrals. And I will tell you- At the right time, while they're hot, while they're experiencing your product, you have to say, oh, by the way, who do you know that could use my services? And basically what they're telling you to do, what they're telling you to do is manipulate their reciprocity, manipulate them at a moment to do something for you. And that moment doesn't owe you anything other than you doing a great job for your client. That's some of the, I mean, I could totally get on a soapbox and break down the science behind why all those things are wrong. But what it all boils down to is, is that there are certain ways that we have been taught for generations about if you want referrals, you have to ask you have to incentivize, you have to network to know a ton of people, right? And it's like, oh, 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 wait. And if you don't want to do any of those things, right, then of course, you're just going to have to hope that they happen. And what I was like, I looked at all four of those and I was like, no, I don't think that has to be right. Because I started looking at, you know, the brain science and the psychology behind how referrals happen. And then that led me down to figuring out, you know, behavior economics and social and, you know, network science and social science. And I was like, and even sociology. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Those things aren't working the way that they should. And the reason why we have such a visceral reaction to them is because we know at the heart that we're manufacturing something that doesn't exist, but we can't figure out how to get to happen what we want to happen, which is just give me a referral without me having to tell you to give me a referral. And what I did was I unpacked that. And then literally that first year in business, I threw spaghetti on the wall to see what would work and what was happening and language and outreach. But at the heart of what I was doing, it came from my willingness to believe that the person who's going to refer me deserves for me to be grateful and thankful. And if I can put my heart around the fact that, hey, you know what? You you just sent me a client. You just made my life easier. Like, of course, I'm going to thank you. Most people who are not dead inside would agree with that, right? They'd be like, what can I send you? A basket, a dinner, a thank you or something, you know? And, you know, it's fascinating. Because, and that's where we go. We're like, okay, so how do we show our gratitude? How do we show our thanks? How much money can I send on them? I'm like, they don't need that. They, they, I mean, your money is fine, right? But they need the acknowledgement. But what they ultimately need is you building in an experience for them because they refer you, though they'll never articulate it in that way to know that you don't just care about them right after they refer you. There's an ongoing process, an ongoing plan of how you engage with these people and stay top of mind and are memorable and meaningful and use the right language. They do think about you from a referral perspective, but it's all based on you being authentic because you actually care about these people because these people care about your business. And it also means that you have to recognize that even though I could refer you, it's not about you. I don't wake up right? No, this is what I would love, right? I would love for everybody to wake up tomorrow and say, how can I grow Stacy's business? I was just going to say that they're thinking about their own stuff. Yes, we all are. We just think about ourselves and it doesn't make us bad people. It makes us people. And so at the end of the day, when we know we're thinking about ourselves, like, why do you think your referral sources are thinking about you? So what ultimately is triggering them to refer someone to you is somebody else that has a problem or has a need that they need solved. And you're just a solution provider. So whereas we can control the desire for someone to pick us, like you're the attorney I refer to, you're the CPA I refer to, you're the business coach I refer to amongst your thousands of other competitors. I pick you because we have a relationship, Mm -hmm. right? And so the desire to choose you to refer to is there, but you don't control my opportunity to refer you. 
So picking the right people to refer you is key. And then making sure you manage that right relationship is key. And that's how we take somebody who's getting, you know, three, four, five, maybe 10 referrals a year. And we get them to like, you know, 15 or 30 or 40 or 50 referrals in a year. Or we take somebody who's getting like 40 to 50 referrals a year and they're going to get hundreds because it's, it's leveraging what they already have to build the right process and system. But it comes at it from the perspective of, are you willing to do something a little bit different to take care of the people who are taking care of your business? And then are you willing to be consistent? Because you have, and I don't mean consistent like daily, weekly, or monthly. I mean like year to year managing that relationship. And usually that's going to boil down to probably four, five, six, maybe seven times a year. And so it's not time, it's not a time commitment, but you do have to be intentional. Okay. So you threw a lot at us. You, we have to be authentic. We have to build the relationship and we have to be consistent. But here I'm thinking about, there's, there's another angle. So that, that I think of when I look at the referral partner that I'm, I'm working with, right? And I'm building that relationship with. And don't they have to be in a position to either be comfortable going, oh, you need to talk to my friend Marcia or, or oh, um, I'm already in your business or I'm already um, naturally in looking at the things that they can go, oh, hey, you need to go talk to Stacey, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, absolutely. So you're right. You've got to have the relationship with them, but that's what I mentioned because we don't control opportunity, okay. right? We don't control how often someone comes across the opportunity to refer you. That means picking the right people And being strategic about who you identify to be your referral sources, the people who will refer you, is critical to not wasting a ton of time, energy, and resources. Sure. So Yeah, like if I'm talking to a dentist all the time, they're probably not talking to their clients about their business. They're talking to their clients about their teeth. So there's not going to be a lot of referral opportunities. Whereas if I'm talking to a financial advisor who's already talking to them about growing their business and their asset that maybe they should talk to me about making sure their asset can be sold. Yeah. So that kind of correlation. I love that you bring that up because when I was a productivity and business coach, my number one type, because there's four types of referral sources, but my, when my number one types of referral source um, were financial advisors, because I worked with business owners, usually parents that were business owners. That was like the, the group I love to work with the most. And of course, those financial advisors had a vested interest in those companies, you know, and those owners doing well. So I got a ton of referrals from financial advisors. But to your point, not any ever from my dentist or a dentist, right? Because it is about right where that's actually going to to align in terms of who's best to who's best to refer you. And that's why the very first thing that we teach. So we we teach three foundational strategies that I believe every business has got to have in place if they want to generate referrals as naturally as possible, right? Just the most natural way. And the two of those strategies are what I call hand-to-hand combat. And I don't mean it in the exact way that it sounds, but I mean it starts by, the first one is existing referral sources. So we start by identifying who's already referring you. And then we look at their category. We look at if they're active or inactive and how we define that. We look at quality issues. We look at re-engagement issues, but we look at people who've already referred you in the past. And of course, there's a process I take my clients through, but really it's just a matter of you looking at your clients, like who was new in 2021? Who was new in 2020? Who was new in 2019? Where'd they come from? That tells you the source. Then you look for those that came from people that were referred to you. And that gives you your group of referral sources. 
when you have a group of referral sources and you have an ability to say, okay, I have 10 people that refer me, or I have one person that has referred me, right? Whatever it is, it's going to reveal your next step. For most folks who've been in business more than two years, they are going to have some group. It may not be more than three or four. It could be a dozen or two group of people who have referred them. That is your business's low-hanging fruit. Because at the end of the day, right, we can take those people that have already referred you and take better care of them and use the right language that is subconsciously having them think about you from a referral perspective while we're taking better care of them to start getting more referrals from our existing referral sources. The second strategy is, well, what about that client you love that is super well-connected, that is like always hanging out with the people you wish that they would refer to you? How do you get them to refer you? We also teach a strategy of how you identify the people who would be great if they referred you, not who you necessarily want, but who would actually be good for it. And there's a strategy we teach to identify those folks. And then we teach you how to cultivate them correctly through a process where you're honoring them, you're honoring the relationship. And at the same time, you're able to cultivate them into a referral source so that then they give you that first referral, which means that that process is working. And so those are two of the three foundational strategies. Let's get more referrals from your existing referral sources, and let's turn new people into referral sources, your potential referral sources. Identification, as you said, number one piece that people have to understand is we got to make sure we're doing this strategically And so in that regards, we're going to identify first and do it as best we can correctly so that everything else makes sense and will work. Wow. That totally makes sense. You want people that, that are doing it, but you, you, you dropped a little nugget in there in between your, your explanation of what you do with them, but you said the word, you cultivate them correctly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's that oh, well, if you just have enough content or if you're in the, <laughs> if you, if you, I know you laugh because it's, it's crazy, right? If you just are in their mindset when they're in that position of doing it. So then that means I have to be around them frequently for them to be able to remember me as the go-to person here. Um, or you can, you know, I mean, there's a dozen different ideas of what I've heard in the past that never really seems to work, you know, without, without it seems like a lot a of work. No, yeah. Without having a whole nother person on your team just for that part of it. So what is, what are some of the ways we can cultivate those relationships in a way that, like you said, honors them and, and keeps you top of mind and makes you a valuable partner. So maybe they'll refer you. Okay. You know, it's, I love that you picked up on that because so many people just think, Oh, I just, I just got to keep in touch. I'll people. I'll be like, I want more content, more social media posts, more emails, more text messages. How you doing? We all know what you really mean by that. Right. I mean, and I hear it every year. I ask people at the end of every year, what are you going to do next year? Right. To get more referrals and how are you going to take care of your referral sources? And they're like, I'm just going to keep in touch. I'm like, good luck with that. Because the truth is (laughs) that probably wasn't very nice, but that is truly how I feel. Um, The reality of it is, is when you think about somebody who is willing to put their reputation on the line to refer someone to you, to spend money with you so that you can solve their problem, there is a dynamic there that you can't just easily dismiss, 
with something that feels like more content, more social media posts, more, you know, text messages, right? Like more or emails. expensive dinners or, you know, I mean, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a nice space. There totally is. And the reality of it is, is what it looks like to generate more referrals from someone who's already referring you versus what it looks like to get someone to give you that very first referral at the heart of both of those, it's going to come down to the relationship you have with them. And what I don't mean is you got to be their best friend. And what I don't mean is you've got to have a 20 year history with them. A lot of people Mm. think that, right? There are some, truly, there are some industries where the longevity of a relationship, right? Connects people together and allows those referrals to happen. I see it a little bit more in the mortgage broker space, right? When new mortgage brokers are getting started in the business and they're like, Stacey, how do I get referrals? I got to get referrals from all these real estate agents. I'm like, why don't you go pick five real estate agents and ask them who their mortgage broker is and why? And they always come back and they're like, it's uh, their buddy from college, or it's the person (laughs) that got their license the same time they got their license. Or I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Like, because in some ways, like, you know, it's not just the proximity, but it's like the friendship actually matters when there are a thousand mortgage brokers I could pick and I want them to all stop calling me. So I'm going to have this one that I'm going to work with. Right. So it does happen in some industries, but most industries that relationship can be cultivated in a way that is mutually like respectful without being stalkerish and without (laughs) being superficial. And I think that's what people don't always pay attention to, but here's the thing. A lot of people are always like, okay, what do I do? Like, what's the what? Like, what am I going to actually end up doing? And I always say it really depends on who your group of people are. So if you have a group of existing referral sources that are all, for the most part, based on whatever it is that you do, they just so happen your top referral sources happen to be guys in their 20s. It's going to be an entirely different experience that I tell you to create for them than if they are mostly men and women in their 40s that have children. Right. So like Mm. men in their 20s, I'm probably not going to make a recommendation. Have you ever thought about recognizing Mother's Day and Father's Day? But you better bet if you've got parents as the commonality amongst your referral sources, I'm probably going to make that recommendation between a Mother's Day and a Father's Day. And here's the thing. This isn't about wacky days and national days and holidays and things like that. It's not not about being cheesy. (laughs) It's not about being inauthentic. It's not about trying to like feeling like I always told my clients, if you feel like you're trying too hard, you are. So Mm -hmm. you need to pull back because there's a, there's a framework that we teach how someone comes up with what are those five or six or seven touch points in a year going to be. There's a whole framework behind how we do it and how we make it easy. That isn't, isn't a matter of, well, what's just easy for me? What's just easy for me to send out a newsletter? Well, that doesn't be, it's not included in your touch point plan. Your newsletters can't be included. Like, so we have to look at things that matter to the referral source, but not Mm -hmm. individually collectively, because the touch points we're going to do are going to be done collectively. This is where people, I think, sometimes underthink or overthink. And what I always tell them Yeah, because then if you go into one person, then you're having to do seven different, you know, if you've got 10 things, you're having to do 10 (laughs) times seven, right? Can you Um, imagine? That's a lot. I'm starting to sweat here. But (laughs) but if you're doing it in a collective way, like you said, then you're actually doing it as a group and they have a similar uh, content about it. They do. And that makes it easy for you logistically to execute on it. But nobody is necessarily like when they receive this touch point from you, they don't know who your other referral sources are. So Mm -hmm. it's not like they're running around town saying, did you get it? Did you get it? Look what I got. Look what I got. Like nobody does that. We we all, we, we got lives and way too much things on our plate. 
But the truth is, is when we have those moments where we feel like, oh my gosh, he really cared. Like, I didn't expect that. Like, those are the reactions that allow us to be top of mind when what we do, those touch points are memorable and meaningful. Mm. And so maybe for your group of referral sources, recognizing Mother's Day and Father's Day is something they would never see coming from you. And they would feel touched and honored that you remembered. That's right. I am a mom with way too many children running around the house <laughs> and that I'm trying to keep up with and keep alive. Like it's the moment of you saying, I see you and I mm. appreciate you and thank you. Right. And that's the moment when this is authentic and it's genuine and it has the impact. Because no matter what I tell you to do for a touch point, the end of the day, collectively, with all those touch points together that we're going to do throughout a course of a year, let's just say for sake of argument, your number is five. For those five touch points you're going to do between January and December, for those five touch points you're going to do, we have one ultimate goal. And that is to occupy more space and our referral sources mind. And if you don't wanna be quickly forgotten, you can't do the chintzy things, like let me just send you an email or let me just send you this gift card. And you don't need to do gifts for every, you better not do the same thing. Don't be sending gifts all five times, that is weird. Like you have to have variety to be able to impact them. But we're trying to occupy space in their mind because at the end of the day, here is the truth of how referrals work. If I can impact how you feel about me, and you feel taken care of, and you feel thanked, and you feel like I appreciate you, then I can direct how you think about me. Mm. And when I tie in my subtle referral seeds that I teach to my clients about the language we infuse to our touch points, not all of them, but most of them, that also gets them thinking about you from a referral perspective, but it's almost like it's done on the subconscious level. And so there's this ability for them to feel cared for and then to also have their thoughts directed about you in a feel-good moment from a referral perspective. And when you do that five, six, seven times throughout the course of a year, you're never going to be far from being top of mind for them to really be able to think about you. But again, this isn't five gifts in a year. This isn't five coffee meetings. Nobody's got time for that. This isn't, and it's so people are always like, the, the variety of what you do matters. It's not five events. Like it's a variety of things that you're gonna do for the group of people you have based on what they need collectively and then making sure you use the right language. So, so this sounds fantastic, first of all, and it's not the thing that hits them every three days for the first month, you know? (laughs) Um, But, uh, but do you think only five touches or seven touches in a year is, I mean, is that for the new referral source that you want or the existing referral source that you're just keeping top of mind with? I think to me, it's like, okay, you know, that might be too far in between to introduce myself and see if we can get things started. How do you recommend that? Yeah, so it's definitely, so that touch point plan or the five to six to seven touch points in a year is going to be done for your existing referral sources because we know exactly who they are after we've identified them, right? Right. So we know who they are, what their commonalities are, what we're doing, what our budget is, and we can make that happen and what our time capacity is. So we can make that plan happen. When it comes to our potential referral sources, this is the one that always will operate slower than you want it to. But when it starts, but when it starts to take effect, right, it is also a skill. I always tell my clients, this is one where when you need referral sources, you can apply this gas pedal and you'll have the strategy and know what to do. And then when you've got too many referral sources, you're going to take your foot off the gas, maybe put it on the brake and pause it if you need to. 
But the idea wow, what of, a problem to have, right? Right. I have too I many actually, referral sources. I can't take any more of you. I know you all love me, but I can't take any more of you. <laughs> I have clients that are like, I have to start saying no. And I'm like, welcome to the best problem to have. I was on this yeah. morning with an architect and who's in my building a referable business program. And we were having one of our one-on-ones and she was like, seriously, I can't, I can no more, no more. And I was like, now it's time for you to start paying attention to the types of clients you want to work with and not accepting everybody. And she was there for her growth trajectory. That was her next step was to level up, but she needed volume, right. In terms of referrals that then she could start figuring out who does she ultimately want to work with. And there, I've watched their business for three years now, and it's just been this incredible growth trajectory, but it's because she does the work. Like, it's not like she knows it, she knows it and she does it. And that is a big difference between people knowing what to do and doing it. And there's a big like gap anything. There. Yes. There is a yes. huge gap there. I mean, so many people listen to all these great ideas and they go and they take notes and they're like, oh, I'm going to put that into my business. And then a squirrel goes and they go running and chasing after that one and they never implement. And I love this. This sounds like it's totally actionable and yes. without a lot of financial commitment, time commitment. It's just the right points and the right actions that you need to take. This is good. You know, it's based on science and actually just good old fashioned common sense of how you take care of people. Love it. Love it. All right, Stacey. So where this has been so good. I mean, I've got, I've got a page of notes over here. (laughs) So I'm like, Ooh, that was good. That was good. You know, where do listeners find out more about you and maybe even find out how you can help them get referrals? Absolutely. So obviously like every business, hopefully in the world, I do have a website that is a great home base for just about anything. You, If you want to find our podcast, if you want to find my book, if you want to find a lot of the, the content and PDFs that you can download and that's stacybrownrandall.com and Stacy is spelled with an E. That's a great home base. But if you want to go real quickly and be like, you know, I really liked everything that Stacy had to say. And I'd like to know how, how, where do I, where do I stand in my ability to generate referrals in the way that Stacy talks about it? You can take a nine question quiz. It's called our referral ninja quiz. And in nine questions, I can tell you what level of a ninja you are going to be. I'm going to hope you're going to land at the ninja, but only 2% of people who take the quiz without first learning from me do. So I'm going to guess you're going to be at a different level. But if you take the quiz, it'll tell you what level you are. And then it'll provide to you a, down, a PDF you can download that'll say, okay, here's where you are. Here are the gaps you need to fill in to get to where you want to be. And of course, it, once you take that referral ninja quiz, if anyone's like, great, now, Stacey, just tell me what to do or hold my hand through it. Obviously, I have online programs and a one-on-one uh, group coaching plus programs option as well called Building a Referrable Business. Talk to anybody about it who's got questions about any of my programs, but start with the quiz because it's going to tell you what you need to know in terms of where you are and what it's going to take to get to where you want to go. And if you're all in, then let's have a conversation. And I sometimes just knowing if you're interested or not starts with just knowing where you are. And that's our referral ninja quiz. You can find it on the website or you can find it at referralquiz.com and just go take to go take that quiz, referralquiz.com. Nine questions. It'll take you like two minutes and you'll know, you'll know what level of a ninja you are. I love it because there are people at different places in their life. Yes. You know, they're, they, they've never gotten a referral before. They, they get a couple referrals or the, the ones that get more referrals, but would like to take it to the next level. There's different mm-hmm. actions and activities that they can do and how to tweak that to make it better. I love it. I love how you, you, you really just, you work with the person, right? And it's not like, oh, you're going to fit into my system. I'm going to fit into your system so we can enhance it and make it better. Good job. Good job. Thank you. 
All right, listeners, I hope you found an idea or two or three. I'm taking notes. I hope you took notes too. <laughs> it will help your business be more profitable. And don't forget, now more than ever, it's important to build your business like you want to sell it. Don't forget to register for my new 15-minute training on how to get your business sale ready. Even if you aren't thinking of selling it yet, there are tons of benefits to having a sale-ready business like more freedom, more money, and it's easier to run as a business. Go register for free at www.scale2sell.biz. That's scale with the number two, sell.biz. You don't want to miss this class. As always, Stacy and I would love to hear your questions. Send us your question. Tell us what your best and worst referral idea was. You know, did you ever get a referral from doing this activity and it failed miserably, or you got great referrals by doing this activity? Hit us up in the comments and tell us what you did. Um, Stacy and I would love to see those and we'll respond back on that. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe on today's podcast and ring that bell so you can find out more and get recommendations or, or comment notifications on the next podcast. And as always, you can catch Profit with a Plan on any of your favorite podcast players. We're looking forward to more great profitable information on next week's show. So until then, make your plans and profit with them. Thanks so much, Stacey.